Uh, you know what's happening in Asbury University in Kentucky? Anyone hear about this? What's going on? Kind of, kind of wild. So every Wednesday they have a, a, a chapel service, I guess, at this university. It's a, I don't know if they're denominational, non-denominational. They're a Christian college. I don't know enough about them. Methodist? Who said that? Somebody did that. Okay, Methodist, thank you. Okay, and so they, they had this service Wednesday at 10 a.m., and it's supposed to be 10 to 11, and then they just haven't stopped. And they've been there, like, worshiping ever since, 80-some hours, um, where people, I'm assuming people have come and gone, and other people have stepped in, and this and that. Um, but they've just been there continually, on and on and on. And, and the people have called it a revival in Asbury, um, that the Holy Spirit has fallen on a hungry generation there. There's a revival in worship and praise and repentance. I mean, that's kind of the signs of, of revival is worship, praise, and repentance. Um, and, and repentance that leads to transformation, right? Not just on an individual level, but a societal level. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's happening. I'm not there. Uh, you know, it sounds unbelievable. It sounds uh, truly like unbelievable, but also amazing uh, of what's going on down there. Um, and so what does that have to do with us? Well, uh, today I'm going to talk about something that sounds also unbelievable, something that is kind of like, well, could this really be? And I don't think it's a coincidence that on that same week that I'm talking about this, we got this happening here in Asbury um, at, at this revival moment. Um, I was reading an article about it th this week, uh, a few days ago, um, maybe even yesterday, that, that kind of cut me to the heart about what was happening there. And here's, here's what it said. Revival is a movement of God. Nothing we, can do, nothing we can do can send the fire from heaven. But like Elijah, we can prepare the altar and stack the wood, all the while asking God to let the fire fall. Let us pray for the students at Asbury to continue to experience the power of the Holy Spirit on their campus and that the fires of revival would burn hot. Let us pray that the campus is radically transformed by the power of the gospel. But let us also pray for the 4,000 plus campuses to experience similar things. What could God do if this fire burns, not for a week or two, but over the coming months and years? What is the defining moment of this generation? What if the defining moment of this generation isn't the pandemic of 2020, but the revival of 2023? And that kind of struck me, you know, because we can try, as a pastor, I can try and force things, I can try and do this, I can do that, and, and here is this college that has something that they do every single week, the same thing, and for some reason, something has happened there this week, and they're still there worshiping, and they're still there praising God. And so it got me thinking, you know, what can we do as Riverside? What can we do in West Lafayette? What can we do as families, as individuals, to prepare for God's Spirit to fall? To, to set the wood, to prepare the place for God to show up and speak to us and fall among us. And so I want to pray about that for a moment as it leads into the sermon, not only for us, but for colleges, for Purdue University, for West Lafayette for all these things, and we might prepare for God to show up, that we might come expectantly, not just we're coming to church. I'm glad you're here at church, praise the Lord, but not just coming to church, but coming expectant that God might do something, that God might be speaking to you today. I'm sure a lot of these students went to chapel because they had to, let's be real, right? They maybe didn't come expectantly, and yet God showed up. So however we come expectantly, unexpectedly, whatever it is, that God might show up among us this morning. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, um, Whatever's going on there, Lord, you know, and we pray for transformation, for a continued fire that might spread, Lord, uh, that would transform socially the people that, there, that are there and um, would spread to us that we might listen to what they have to say. Lord, be with us as we look at your word and consider today how we are. Are we preparing 
the place for your fire to fall? At Riverside, are we preparing the place for you to speak to us? Have we come this morning with hearts prepared for you to speak to us? Have we come with, as Nicola said, a face, a, a different emotions and ideas that are grumbling and complaining and maybe even hurting, lamenting, struggling this morning, whatever it might be, Lord, we bring our authentic selves to you and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us where we are right now, as you always do, and lead us to where you want us to be, that we might be attentive to your word this morning, attentive to your presence. Lord, I also want to lift up the 20-plus teens and leaders that are traveling back this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Give them mercies, Lord, and we might be attentive to that generation, too, and what they learned this weekend that they met you and encountered you in a mighty and new way, and they developed relationships that are authentic and real with the leaders and with each other that are there, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So that's all to say. I'm beginning the message with this idea. A group of Christians that commit to love each other and submit to the Holy Spirit can change the world. A group of Christians that commit to love each other and submit to the Holy Spirit can change the world. This is what Paul is going to talk about today, I believe. This is, I believe this. I do. I, I really do. that This is actually possible. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. We're looking at Romans today. So we're looking at the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And he's writing to the church in Rome after a big event that happened. Uh, several years before this letter, the emperor Claudius was there. He expelled all the Jews, including the Jewish Christians, from Rome. He said, get out. We, we don't want you here. Get out of here. And so he took them. He took their property. He took and forcibly removed them out of Rome. It was a politically, socially, ethnically related move. And about five years later, the edict is reversed. And so all these Jews are coming back into Rome, including these Jewish Christians that returned to their churches which sounds like great news, like, oh, okay, the churches are back together, except that's where the conflict began, because these churches that they came back to, there were Jew and Gentile churches together, the Jewish Christians came back, and they realized things aren't as they used to be. They had lost touch with the church that they had left. Things had changed drastically with the Gentile Christians that had been there in the church. For example, we have, let's just take our service for a second, okay? We got chairs, we got uh, instruments, we got whatever. Let's say you had to go somewhere for five years and you came back and suddenly we had wooden pews everywhere, right? And we, had a, and we got rid of all these instruments and there was a massive just organ right here, just right back, right? Um, and then I was in a suit every single week and, and uh, I don't know, all the crazy things you can think of, right? Um, how would you feel stepping into that church? All the people are the same. But how would you feel stepping into that church? Eh, you know, what happened here? You know, what is this? I was gone for five years and everything completely changed? Well, these Jewish Christians, they left for five years. Well, they were forcibly removed for five years and they came back. And a lot of the customs and the practices had changed drastically. So Paul's writing this letter to these believers in Rome who at this present moment are more preoccupied. They're more concerned with seeing differences between them rather than the similarities that they share in Jesus Christ. The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were looking at each other and saying, hey, you say you follow Jesus, but you're not circumcised, and you're not following the food laws like we used to, and you used to give me grace for doing this, and, and now you're not, and, and what's going on here? And Paul says, let's find some unity in the gospel together that we might listen to each other well, care for each other well, and follow Christ together, love each other to make an impact in this world. As the body, we're tempted to see the differences among us, but I believe this, a group of Christians that commit to love each other 
that submit to the Holy Spirit can change the world. They can be transformed and in that way change the world through how they have been transformed. So, let's see what Paul has to say about this this morning. I want to begin, actually, I said we we're going to leave off uh, from last week, uh, Colossians 3, uh, 16 through 17, the last few verses. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to focus on that word representative, that we are representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ. A representative is one who bears the name of another and is held accountable by them. So if you say you are a Christian, you are a representative of Christ, a little Christ, a little representative of Christ going from place to place. When the world sees you, little Christ, are they seeing Christ? Are they seeing people who exhibit this love for one another, care for each other, and seek unity with one another? As little Christians, little Christs, as we go from place to place, do we live in a manner of the one whose name that we bear? That's what Paul is pointing us to. And so with that in mind, let's turn to Romans 12, 9 through 21. If you want to pull it up in your Bibles, the top of my Bible says love in action. So it's got something to do with acting out the, the love that we know in Christ. Um, and we're talking about life together, of course, this year. And so uh, let's read uh, 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 Romans 12 about life, love in action, what that looks like in the body of Christ. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There was a really important birthday, well, significant birthday, March 21st. It's coming up, March 21st, 2006. Anyone here born on March 21st, 2006? That's my first question. No? Okay. Anyone March 21st? No? Okay. All right. So we're not talking about you. Don't worry. Um, but there was a birthday, birthday coming up, March 21st, 2006 is the birthday of Twitter. Twitter was born on that day, believe it or not. If you're unfamiliar with Twitter, it's a social media website. People can engage in these short messages 140 or maybe more than that, 280 characters or less now? I don't know, something like that. Um, and there are these short bursts of information, like chirps from a bird. So you can give this short little bloop. Here it is. Here's what I think about this topic. And people, of course, have all sorts of thoughts about every topic under the sun. Um, but the heart of Twitter is to give us this short burst of information to tell us something. So I want to answer a very important theological question this morning. If Paul had a Twitter, what would he tweet? If Paul had a Twitter, what would he put in his Twitter account? And I think what he would put is some of the stuff that's in Romans 12, 9 through 21. These short little bursts of information that tell us what love in action, what living with one another, what living with Jesus looks like. So let's take a look. We got, I pulled up Paul's Twitter account. Here it is right here. We got Paul of Tarsus. 
Saved by Jesus, called by Jesus, I heart Jesus. Um, you can follow Paul of Tarsus 11 on Twitter, see if he posts anything else on there. So this is his Twitter account. All right, so let's see what Paul has to tell us this morning from his Twitter account. First, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. There's Paul with his first word. Sincere is actually the word anti-hypocritical. Don't just love someone because they love you back. He's talking to the church, these believers who don't get along. And he wants to lay down the foundation of the rest of this section here. Sincerely love one another. If you can be at the point when you genuinely care for the struggles of another, even though they may not be your own, everything else can flow from that love and care for each other. Hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. People love to say the Bible never tells us to hate. Oh, wait, it's right here. Hate something. Hate evil. Hate what is evil. Hate that which is not of God. Actions that draw us away from God, that, that harm God's good creation. Hate those things. And then cling, cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. God is good. Cling to God. Cling to God in these moments. Cling to Jesus. Cling to his goodness and his love for you. So in our house, we have, obviously, we have a kitchen where we have all these different supplies. Uh, we've been married, uh, well, we've been married 17 years, coming up in May. Ooh, okay. Um, and, and over the years, we've bought different things for our house, as imagine you have. And we've always had to replenish stuff in our kitchen. So the olive oil runs out, you get more olive oil. The foil gets out, you get more foil. I'm going to tell you what, I'm pretty sure the cling wrap in our house is the same one we bought after our honeymoon. Because <laughs> I never end up using it. Because every time I try and open it up, I pull it out, and what happens? Anyone have this problem? Right? It's like this, and then it gets stuck to this, and it's on my shirt, and I just you know, throw the, kick the thing out, and it's like I, I can't ever use the thing. Right? It frustrates me. I never end up using it. I'd rather just use foil or something else. Right? There's this clinginess that comes from cling wrap. It says cling to what is good. What is good, let it cling to you. God is good. Cling to God. Cling, hold on to him. I think of an image. I know Chuck's here. You were wearing a baby Bjorn earlier, weren't you? you? Yeah. If you see that with the baby, that idea of being held close, clinging on, like sons and daughters to our father up close, cling, uh, hiding in there, nestled into God, right next to his heart. Cling to what is good. Cling to him and hate evil. Be devoted to one another. Genuinely care for each other. Put others first. Honor one another above yourselves. One of the, my favorite things that we do in church is call each other brother and sister. I wish we did that more. Hey, brother, hey, sister, right? It's a sign of affection, clinging to one another, honoring one another. You are my brother, you are my sister in Christ. That we are a new family together. That is a good thing. Second thing, what else does Paul tweet for us this morning? Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. Hope, affliction, and prayer. All these have to do with waiting, waiting for something. If you are in hope, you are waiting for something to happen. If you're in affliction, you're waiting to be delivered from your affliction, whatever that might be. And if you're in prayer, you're waiting on God's timing to speak to him. And in this waiting, we are called to be joyful, patient, and faithful. See, sometimes God's kingdom is a kingdom of waiting. And some of us know that all too well. We've been waiting for something, waiting for an answer for this, waiting for healing from this, waiting for deliverance from this, waiting for this or that or the other, waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes that's the nature of God's kingdom, that as we wait, we might be joyful, might be patient on God's timing, and might be faithful. 
We oftentimes like to ram things through. Let's get things done. Let's make it happen. I need a plan for this. I need to th- Sometimes God says, just hold on. I got this. Walk with me. Be patient with me. Sit with me in this moment. Third thing. What else does Paul tweet this morning? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. I love hospitality. Hospitality is a good thing. Uh, thank you to, to all those who contribute with donuts and coffee in the morning. Woo! donuts, right? I know some of the kids, they come in, it's like, hey, how you doing? Straight to the donuts, right? Um, some, even some of you adults, just straight to the donuts. It's okay. Um, and that's good. I like Christian hospitality. That's a great thing. But, but when we talk about the early church and hospitality, it wasn't donuts and coffee. Hospitality meant something different. It meant this, sharing with those in need. That's what hospitality was. Not only that, but caring for those in need. Caring for those who could not care for themselves was an act of Christian hospitality. To practice hospitality is to come love someone when they can't love you back, when they have nothing to offer you back. It's easy to love someone who can love you back. If I can give you $10 and I know I'm getting that $10 back, okay, great. But if I'm giving to someone and I don't expect anything back, or even better, I know that they cannot give me anything back, that is an act of hospitality. It's for caring for those who can do nothing to help you back. That is hospitality. And Christian hospitality was reaching into the life of the forgotten ones, the poor, the sick, the orphan, the widow, the refugee, those who cannot repay you, and spending yourself on behalf of them and their needs. That's how the early church understood hospitality. Let me give you an example. One of the earliest examples of Christian hospitality in the church was how they cared for orphans, how they cared for orphans, young boys and girls. With the exception of a few cities, there were a few cities in biblical times where orphans were cared for, for the most part, orphans were either forgotten about, left to care for themselves, or sometimes sold into brothels. And you can use your imagination there. The Christian church, the early church, they paid their way into these brothels. They purchased the freedom of these children. They took them back to their church communities and they raised them as their own sons and daughters. They showed hospitality to these children who had nothing to offer back and they raised them in the goodness of the Lord. That's how the church grew. That's one of the ways that the church grew so quickly, that early church, is they cared for the children that had been forgotten about. Those that that people wanted nothing to do with, that often we cast aside. They said, no, you're made in the image of God. We love you. Come here. We're we're buying your freedom. You're going to come. We're going to raise you. You're going to grow to know God. They went to the evil places, and they clung to what was good, and they saved many. So it's more than coffee and donuts, although there's nothing wrong with coffee and donuts. God bless coffee and donuts. But hospitality was going into those places that are often forgotten, the dark corners, and saying, hey, we got something here. We can help. We can walk with you in this moment. Practice good hospitality toward each other. Well, this is Paul tweeting. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Live in harmony with one another, you know, harmony is nice. It sounds like do we hold hands and, and sing together and yay, harmony. A little more than that. Um, there were some people in the church that when they went out into society, they were very important people. They had titles with multiple letters after their name. They had money. They had resources. They had wealth. They had all these different things. And when they came into church, some of them expected to be treated that way too. They, they wanted that sort of treatment. You know who I am out there? Why can't I be that in here? And Paul says, hold on. Well, we're not going to do that. You've got to view yourself through the blood of the Lamb, just as each one of us do. 
He died for the rich and he died for the poor. He died for the sick and he died for the lame. He died for the honored and he died for the shame. He died for those in high position and he died for those in low position. And he challenges the church here, just like last week. Don't model the church's behavior after what you see in the world. There's no hierarchies in the kingdom of God. The forgotten ones, the poor, those uh, in low position, we oftentimes treat them like garbage. Right? We, we like to hide the poor away in buildings and in neighborhoods, put roads around them so we don't have to look at them, exile them to different parts. Imagine if we did that in church. If you made less than $50,000, you can watch a live stream from your phone in the car. Everybody else is welcome into church. Not so good. Not a great idea. Right? Paul says, no, you're more than that in Christ Jesus. We're equal through the blood of the Lamb. Don't be conceited. Don't be prideful. You know, in the world, a lot of who you are depends on who you know. If you know people in power, if you know people with money, if you know people with authority, you are somebody. He says, don't bring this to church. In the body of Christ, we are equal. We are one body with many members, many parts, with one head, that is Christ, who leads us. The, the material things that separate us out there, they're all eventually going to burn anyway. But we have each other. We have Christ in this moment. What else did he tweet? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The church in Rome had enemies. It had enemies. It had people that did not want them to be there. The government wanted to control them and seek taxes from them at a higher rate. Emperor Nero famously wanted to kill many Christians. Uh, in Rome, evangelism for a season was illegal, and so they were breaking the law and risking their lives and sharing this gospel and meeting together in the public square. And Paul pulls from the Sermon on the Mount, from Jesus' own words here, the proper action when you're facing persecution from your faith is to love your enemy back. To love your enemy back. Turn the other cheek. Give them food to eat. Give them out of what God has given you. And this goes against much of what we see in the world because we like to watch movies when people fight back. We like to watch movies when someone takes justice into their own hands. We like to watch things where someone claims victory by overpowering another. But God, Paul says, leave that to God. Here's what I want you to do. Love others well, even your enemies. Love your enemy. Pray for them, feed them, invite them to dinner, eat with them, share a drink with them. In doing so, you might heap burning coals on their head. You might show them and convince them how wrong they are. You might save a life out of your goodness and light and love. Let me put it another way. Paul says, be in relationship with each other, even your enemies. Seek to be in relationship with them as well. I was talking to somebody this week in the church, I won't say their name, but we're talking about loneliness. This idea of loneliness and isolation, and they, they talked to somebody who had a kid, and, and they were talking to this kid who was, I don't know, a younger age, and says, well, why don't you invite your friends to do something? He goes, I don't have any friends, right? I don't have any friends, and he was like blown away by this, and I'm like, yeah, it's been a hard season for a lot of people. A lot of friendlessness is going on. Study after study is showing that we are more isolated, we feel more alone and more friendless than ever before. Now, I'm not smart enough to say what the answer, why that happened or what that is, but it's the reality that we're living in, that we're living in this isolated reality. And I believe to make an impact on this present generation will happen not by legislating away sin or yelling at people, because if we just do that, we're like 1 Corinthians 13.1, we're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
if we're not acting in love. To make an impact in this generation is to surround ourselves with deep and growing understanding of God's love for us so we can show that love to others, even our enemies. Because that's what Jesus did. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says, share a meal with your enemies. Go, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil plus evil does not equal good. You cannot cancel out evil with more evil. Evil is evil and good is good, so let's overcome evil with good, Paul says. So that you might win some to know of God's love for them. And that last idea kind of goes really against what we see in the world here of trying to overcome evil with my own evil, my own ideas, my own this. But let's come back to this first idea that, that a group of Christians that commit to love each other and submit to the Holy Spirit can change the world. It starts by learning to live differently than the world, differently than revenge and honor and shame and power and grabbing for those things. And Paul lays it out for us here, Romans 12, to this church in Rome that was broken, that was trying to find its way back together. He says, show hospitality and care for the ones that the world neglects. Care for those that are forgotten, and you can change the world. Radically show forgiveness and mercy when no one else seems to have any. Turn the other cheek and forgive well. You can change the world. Keep your joy and peace and patience when things are crumbling. Be patient while God is at work. You can change the world. Don't just hang with people that are like you. Reach out to everyone. Bring them in. Live together as one body and show unity. You can change the world. This was the calling for Paul for this church. This is, I believe, still the calling for today. That as people who come together might be transformed by the Holy Spirit to learn to love each other well and also to change the world and how we interact with one another. That we might be ministers of reconciliation, as Paul says, to reconcile what is broken among us and shine the light of Christ in all these things. That's where true power lies. That's where Paul is calling the church in Rome. That's where Paul still speaks to us today to consider as we live authentically with one another. Let me pray. Lord, help us this morning as we consider what this authentic community looks like to be with one another. As Paul challenges the church, find unity together so we may do the same. We may come together not amongst our differences, but what binds us is your love, Lord Jesus. That while we were all still sinners, you died for us. That we all have a testimony, a story of forgiveness and mercy that we need to share with each other. That we might move beyond our differences and move into spaces of uniting with one another, sharing with one another, loving one another in authentic relationship. Including our enemies, including our neighbors, including those around us that we might transform this world. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you will do and are doing among us in each of our lives and in our church. May we be careful to be attentive, listening, have soft hearts, ready to hear and to follow your leading wherever you would lead us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.